You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Thanks for joining us on the Renewed You podcast. We're here to help you discover how mental, physical, and spiritual health combine to help you live your best life. We want to give you hope, tools, and encouragement because the world needs a renewed you. Now, here's your host, John Yule. Hey, 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 welcome to the next edition of the Renewed You Podcast. I am so glad that you are with us today. This podcast is proudly sponsored by New Life Church. We would love for you to check us out at newlifeokc.org. And uh, we are glad that you are with us today. The goal of this podcast is to help uh, give us tools and stories that can help us renew our mind, our bodies, and our souls so that we can become the people that God has created us to be. And I'm glad to have today as my co-host, my pop. How you doing, Dad? I'm doing awesome. Thank God for this beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. Can you believe it is December the 16th? It seems like it's middle of summer. It (laughs) does. The weather we've had, or spring anyway. At the time of this recording, we just had a 74 degree day in the middle of December. And it's just crazy. It's a little yeah. colder today, but um, anyway, I'm glad yeah. you're doing well. Yeah, I have a, my guest today is uh, someone who has become a friend in my life, and I am excited uh, with you to learn more about him and his story, as well as discover uh, what God uh, has placed inside of him and, and how it can help us all deal with things we need to deal with in our lives, because everybody we all got baggage man we all got baggage i want to introduce you today to my good friend pastor wayne hines how you doing wayne man i'm doing fantastic it is so cool to be with you today dude you got like the radio voice i gotta get way down now. <laughs> I, I coughed out all the all the higher decibel settings so. <laughs> man i'm glad you're with us and um but uh you know, you guys have been, we've been friends for about six months. Really? Yeah, Can you believe that? We have. And, Seems uh, like longer than that. Yeah, it does. Five to six months. And um, Wayne and I met uh, for the first time at New Life Church, and it was supposed to be like a 20-minute meeting, and, we, and I talked to Zero for two hours. No, we just connected and, and had a great time, and um, I really still enjoy that conversation that yes. we had that day. Yes. But uh, I want to find out a little bit more about you. So um, just start at the beginning. Tell us tell us your life story. Man, uh, I can start way at the beginning. You could probably start at like the birth, I guess. Uh, That's what Jeremy does all the time. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back before that. <laughs> I'll go back before that. Do you know that my great-grandmother was miraculously healed by two tent evangelists that came to the house and prayed for her and they cut off her body cast. Wow. What? And she got up and walked in the same day. Praise God. Wow. Answered the door for her alcoholic dad that Sunday night when he came home after the bar closed. And there was another miracle healing and those two healings are credited as being the beginning of the Assembly of God denomination. Is that a fact? In Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Isn't that amazing? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Then uh, when I was born, my mother was in an oxygen tent. My mother was a deathbed asthmatic. Mm. She was under an oxygen tent for 72 hours of labor. Wow, my Lord. She had fallen. I was born early. Uh, The doctor called my father and said, uh, you need to get your uh, pastor, priest, or rabbi and bring him to the hospital and uh, let them counsel and help you so that... uh, if we can save one of the two, that uh, they can help you decide which one we should try to save. Wow. And my father told them, I won't be making any such decision because both of them shall live. Mm. And so I weighed five pounds, four ounces, and 24 hours later, I weighed four pounds, three ounces, as I went through withdrawal from my mother's asthma medication. Wow. And now I'm six foot three and 200 and now wait, some pounds. You had to go through withdrawal for asthma medication. Yes. Most people wouldn't consider that to be something you need to get uh, well, when, when you're freed a, from. 
when 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 you're a newborn um uh, and you you're born with with prescription medicine in your system you have to get rid of that prescription medicine mhm so that you can figure out if you're normal or not so you started out an addict <laughs> i started out an addict if you want to put it that way that's my new qualification for writing the book yes yes um so uh uh, there's just a there's a miracle history. My my next youngest sister was born uh, with an obstruction in her throat and uh, couldn't couldn't keep formula down. Uh, so she was she was literally starving to death. And they went to do surgery and and figured out all of a sudden that her obstruction was gone. Huh. And then my baby sister was born without a hip socket. And wow. so she's where she should be rolling over and starting to sit up and and she's just crying in pain all the time. Mm. And, and uh, they go back to the doctor, do x-rays, figure out she's got no hip socket. They tell her she'll never walk. Uh, they might be able to do surgery, put some cartilage in place where with a walker she could drag one leg along and uh, they get ready to go do surgery. My dad says, uh, you need to do another x-ray. And they said, we don't, we've already done our pre-surgery x-rays. No, you need to do another x-ray. And uh, he wouldn't let him do surgery until they did another x-ray. Goodness. And they did another x-ray and she had a hip socket. Mm. And so there is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, one x-ray that says no hip socket. And a month later, there's a hip socket. Goodness mm. gracious, that's amazing. So... so if you want to know my story, my story is this. I understand the miracle working power of God in places where you were desperate for a miracle. Man. So how, I know we're going to get into, uh, you wrote a book called uh, Breaking Free from Addiction, and we're going to talk about addiction um, as we get get into this later on. But uh, before we get to the book, and I'm uh I'm going to encourage everyone to um, really, really listen throughout this podcast um, and even into the next one as we, we, we talk about some, some ways that, that people can, can start on that process of freedom. Um, but before we get into the addiction side of what, what you do, and obviously it is very, very uh, deep into your, your story, um, yes. uh, where did you, where'd you go to high school? Well, I went to uh, Custer High School um, my sophomore year in Milwaukee, which is the same school that my grandmother went to, the daughter of my great-grandmother I was telling you about. When my grandmother went there, it was an all-white high school. When I went there, it was 60% white and 40% black and Hispanic. I rode a city transport bus for 30-plus minutes and had to pay fare. I was the last pickup to go to school and the last pickup from school. And uh, a three-story school, 3,600 students, three floors, uh, three staircases, uh, white staircase, black staircase, Hispanic staircase. You did not go up the wrong staircase. Oh, goodness, yeah. Um, I lived in an all-white neighborhood. I went to an all-white church. Yeah. The church we went to was the largest missions giving church in the assemblies in the Wisconsin Northern Michigan District. And at least one Sunday night a month, we had some missionary in to speak with their little slide carousel. Remember those days? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, back before PowerPoint? Yeah, slideshows. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm giving my age away now. I know. Hey, well, I'm with you. Okay. Dude, I remember when they used to have the flashlights that had a pointer on it. <laughs> Do you remember those? Yeah. Back before you had lasers, do you remember those, Dad? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was a flashlight. I guess they put some kind of a lens cover on it mm-hmm. so they would have an arrow point, yeah. you know, uh, to, to point it anyway. Oh, man. So um, uh, I, I saw on a regular basis these slideshows of, of white missionaries in Africa with an orphanage and a school and all these little black kids lined up uh, for a picture and missions banquets that my dad would put on and each table would be a would be a country that we were supporting a missionary in, and and uh, you know so when when I get to get to high school, uh, 
and, and I skipped a spot. My, my, my dad and, and some families went into the ghetto of Milwaukee and brought in a, a mixed bus of black kids and white kids for children's church. And I sat with those kids and uh, helped them with their snacks and helped them behave and uh, encouraged them to, to clap and sing or dance or whatever it was we were doing and took them to the bathroom. Uh, I, I had an experience in church with people of other culture. Mm, yeah. So that when I get to high school and all my white friends from my white neighborhood are now meeting people of another culture for the first time and that's a culture shock to them, Yeah, I didn't have any problem. Right. Because they were just people to me. They weren't black. Right. They were people. Uh, interesting story. Uh, in Milwaukee, you have to uh, you have to be able to swim to graduate from high school. <laughs> really? Yeah, you got an Olympic sized pool. Sounds like my the... college experience. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we got an Olympic sized pool. You got two uh, swim teachers. Uh, one class meets on one side, one meets on the other, and, and then your activities are are together. Uh, you got this locker room. Uh, where you where you change into your swim gear and and you're assigned a locker space and in my locker space was was in a little grouping and I'm the only white guy in the middle of a all black fellas hmm. and most of my neighborhood friends are in the next grouping and there's one or two black guys in the midst of all my white friends. And so they're the majority over there and I'm the minority and they're looking over me like they're frightened for me. Goodness. So I walked to my pre-assigned locker and, you know, it should have been intimidating, but it wasn't intimidating to me because I knew black people. Mm, right. I'd held black kids in my lap. I'd helped them to the bathroom. I'd fed them. I'd done object lessons for them. Uh, you know, I, I, I prayed with them at the altar uh, for those kids on the slideshow on Sunday night. Uh, so it was no big deal to me. I just walked in, said, hi guys. And, and I was comfortable and I gave them respect and I didn't show that I was intimidated and, and they responded to me in like fashion. Mm -hmm. And my white friends couldn't figure out how in the world did you do that? <laughs> and shocked to me, yeah. that to me, it was no big deal. Uh, and I say all that sort of to say this, uh, you know, uh, the, the the racial tensions and whatnot we have in the in the streets today uh, ought to be solved in the church. I would agree with that a hundred percent. I think it is sad. I'm. Um, we were talking before we started recording. And one of the last things you said was, um, "You and I are a lot more alike than you think." <laughs> and um, you know, I grew up in a in a relatively smaller town. Um, and my dad was my pastor. You know, I had no choice there. PK, <laughs> um, PK. Yep. You know, listen, PKs are not the worst. We learned everything from the Deacons kids. Anyway, um, so uh, we were we were for the most part a an all white church, mm -hmm. um, and I think um, when in the mid seventies, late seventies, early eighties. I think there was still, I mean, I was a kid, so I think there was still some racial tension really in, in society. Um, but I was on the op, the wrong side of town. All of my buddies were black, you know, the guys I played basketball with, I was the token white kid, you know, and I enjoyed going with them on certain Sunday nights where, when my dad would let me to, to their church. And I thought we sang four songs and that was forever oh my word, these people will go for an hour, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where I first discovered um, the power of uh, of the, the church mama, you know? Yeah. I, I remember when Rodney and Sydney and I were joking, were, were cracking up one Sunday night that uh, all of a sudden we got this quarterly whack right up on the side of our head from a lady in the pew in front of us just letting us know, be quiet, boys, you know? and uh, Or it was a fan from the, from the funeral home. It might have been. That's right. That's right. Uh, because they were always hot in there. But um, I, I, I do think that those in my young childhood, very formative years, it, it, it became very difficult for me to identify racism because, um, and even that statement in some ways can, can be 
racist, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but I think the more that we can just see people as, as people, um, I, I think that takes care of so many things and it pains me that still Sunday mornings is probably one of the most segregated yes, times in our country. Um, and so I just think, I, I think the church, we got to figure that thing out, man. We do. You know, otherwise our message really has no other, no differentiation or more power than the message of the, of our culture right now. And isn't it interesting that it seems like in our, in our current culture at the time of the recording here in America, racism is making a comeback only now it's kind of politically expedient, you know, when, 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 with, with everything that's kind of going on in our, in our culture right now. Um, what, what do you think about that from that vantage point, dad? Do you think it's kind of making a comeback only in a more ex- somewhat covert way? Uh, yeah, it's making a comeback because it's purposely being pushed out into the forefront again. There is a faction that wants to always keep racism the issue. Uh, why, do you, why, why is that? Because it's a power play, money play. You create, okay, just, just a big picture here. We do cancer research. Thank God for the breakthroughs in cancer. But I don't know if there will ever be a total breakthrough in cancer. There's too much money involved, too much power involved. People need cancer research to sustain them, if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. We can put a man on the moon and bring him back, and we're doing all that kind of stuff now even through the private sector, and yet we can't solve these this issue. Yeah. And I say that very simplistically. I don't know all the science involved, but I would say this. I know the Bible says the human heart is deceitful and wicked. And from the fall in the garden, selfishness has been the primary motive of a fallen man and a fallen world. So I have to create something to sustain myself. And in order to continue to sustain myself, I have to keep that as an issue. Mm-hmm. And so you've got a lot of uh, outliers of this racism concept that is tied to people's livelihood, their recognizable position and power in life, their influence, whatever. Um, and I say that because, uh, again, Self is the motivating force of a fallen world and of a fallen man. Uh, Where I say racism is not an issue. We elected a black president twice in America. How can that be a real issue when there are more Caucasians than there are African-Americans in the context Mm -hmm. of voting power? Right. Right? So... It's an issue if you want to make it an issue, and they're making it an issue, and they're trying to uh, they're trying to push it out there to cause continual division because they have an agenda. Yeah, and the primary agenda of the enemy is divide and conquer, create this environment for um, conflict. You know, keep something there that keeps the pot stirred. <coughs> have you want to phrase it? Where Christ comes to be a savior for all men and to put his peace in our heart, you carried peace in your heart, Wayne. That's why you could function there. Yeah. Because something had been imparted to you. There wasn't something to be afraid of. You didn't right. see them as different. There was just this this sense of oneness and we're just here together. That's it. Let's function, right? Uh, and and I think there's uh, that behooves all of us to find that within us. I, I never knew racism. Uh, I was never raised in a inner city urban. I was rural uh, most of my life. I remember playing sports against black guys. That's the first time I ever really, really saw one that I remember. Uh, I'm talking about living in northern New Mexico. Our issue was, uh, of course, the Navajos, the, the Native Americans that lived there. And again, they were different, but we didn't we didn't bring out their difference. We celebrated it. A lot of them were very creative, very good sports athletes, uh, like Jim Thorpe over here, Shawnee, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we just functioned. 
nobody made an issue of it mm-hmm. uh and i know in the inner city you know they forced busing and all this kind of stuff to integrate the schools you know we didn't have any of that where i was at uh all those schools were already integrated with native americans and and caucasians you know so again it's 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 the powers that be what they want to make of it and then what we allow to take place within our own heart and so um uh, racism is an issue because somebody wants it to be an issue more than anything else because from god's perspective he doesn't see color he doesn't see gender we're all there's neither male nor female bond or free black or white in the kingdom of god but if we emphasize it now i say that to say this i think god works in any and every situation for instance there may be a great purpose in having a black church and a white church totally i don't think that there's anything necessarily inherently wrong with right and i think what we have to be cognizant of is you know what is god wanting not what do i want to create right I want to create a, a mixed congregation. So I'm going to force some kind of, that's like force busing. Most yeah. of that was a very negative, yeah. negative thing right. anyway. And I say all that to say, uh, I think if we can just let God do what God wants to do, celebrate, I think God is more glorified in diversity than he is in uh, everybody being the same in the sense that we're all the same color, same gifting, same purpose. No, we're all individual parts of a body that has individual purposes and so i say he is more glorified through diversity than he is through sameness i think i I agree so you're saying that racism is used as a way to divide because if they can divide then that then that makes it easier to control or manipulate okay yeah let's spiritualize it just for a minute um not from a racism standpoint but you used the scripture and talked about how that the goal of the enemy is division. Um, Jesus taught against division. Um, what, what is some issues, Wayne, you've been in ministry, so chime in here. Let's, let's grill into this for just a minute. Some issues other than racism that has been used to divide the church that just like racism to really deal with racism, you got to deal with the heart. Mm-hmm. Well, the same things dividing the body of Christ. What what would be some things you guys have experienced that has been used almost as a power play too to to bring some division? Well, doctrinal doctrinal differences or uh, sacrament. Uh, okay, two big practices. words. Two big words. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast today, maybe you don't have a big church background, so those two words may not mean a lot to you. Doctrine and sacrament doctrine what do you mean by that word different differences in what we believe and how okay. we should practice uh christianity um whether you water baptize or whether you sprinkle or you don't baptize mm-hmm. or you speak in tongues or you don't speak in tongues or once saved always saved or or all those different yeah. things that uh usually are attached to the brand that's on the sign so you're baptist methodist right Pentecostal, whatever, uh, those things divide us and we fight in the church and, and separate ourselves in the same way religiously as we, as we do by color. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the answer to the question that you're, you're looking for there. Um, one of the, one of the things that, that, uh, you know, we're, we're Grace United Urban Ministry when we are out on the street and United, uh, part of our name was selected specifically uh, we are uniting people regardless of the of the church sign, regardless mm-hmm. of the doctrine. Uh, some of the biggest supporters of our ministry uh, when we're out on the street are our Church of Christ folks. Yeah, and you know from a, from a doctrinal standpoint, <laughs> I already told you I was a yeah. simple God growing right. up. I'm as far away from right. Church of Christ as you can get. Uh, but but we fellowship around Jesus Christ and what He did at Calvary. And, and what that means for new life and how we should love one another. And so mm-hmm. we are united in the love of Christ right? and not separated by our doctrinal differences. right? And so uh, in, in that, that if we could look at people the same way, uh, yeah, we're different. We're red and yellow, black and white. We're, we're this and that and the other. But, but we are united in that God made us. He designed us. He purposed us. 
he gave us all things that pertain to life and godliness, regardless of what color, where you're from, and, and what kind of music you listen to. Right. I think one of the reasons why doctrine tends to divide people, for, this coming from someone who my life has been theology. Those are my degrees. Um, I love theology just simply means the study of God. Um, so I contend that if you're a Christ follower, you ought to be a theologian. <laughs> you ought to be studying God. Yeah. Um, but the those uh, theological or doctrinal differences, just like how you grew up and I grew up, though there was racism in the culture, it didn't really affect you the way that some people, in fact, your ability to operate within that um, in, in a loving way without seeing, you know, the distinctiveness, but looking for the things that, that were the same or united caught people's attention. I think that's also happening within the church. I think we're finally in an era and an age where the distinctivenesses for many people are fading away under the banner of what unites us, which is the cause of Christ. I I know my dad, I know that you do a lot of ministry and then we'll jump into the addiction thing. You do a lot of ministry with people that struggle with the doctrinal differences or, or we would call it denominational issues. Um, I know that you and I, uh, we've grown up a part of a denomination. I don't, there's nothing wrong with that either. There's nothing wrong with being a fan of the Oklahoma Sooners, okay? Uh, but how do how do how do we operate and help people not focus on the distinctives, but come back around the things that unite us? Well, I think uh, that's the individual responsibility that we have before God. Uh, I have a purpose in this earth. He put me here for that purpose. Part of that purpose is to uh, quote promote God, his kingdom, um, not man's focus or man's um, emphasis of that kingdom, but his, right. right? And you go back to the very beginning again, uh, what did the devil do? He divided man, Adam and Eve, from God. Um, and his whole purpose is to steal, kill, destroy. How does he do that? He isolates. You get a sheep away from a shepherd and a flock, it's going to be destroyed. That's his motivation behind it all. So everything in life has a spiritual base to it. You have to go to the spiritual. What's the motive? What's the spirit behind everything? And uh, so you have to identify that. When when we when I was born again, I became a a spiritual son of God. Now I have a, a revelation. I have a I have an understanding that I have to begin to build into my life and then live that out before others based again upon what does God say, not what does man teach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I go back to the fact that uh, from the very beginning, Israel was uh, a nation of tribes. Those tribes were unique and individual based upon the sons of Jacob. The 12 sons of Jacob became the nation of Israel. You go back where, where Jacob prophesied over each son what their future was going to be. They each had a standard or a flag. They each had their place around the tabernacle and various, they were positioned independently and though they were one nation, they were unique, Mm -hmm. okay? So that says uh, God works beyond the denominational structures that can make us, we identify a uniqueness based upon our denomination, just like those 12 tribes were unique based upon their tribal heritage, right? Uh, and God used them for a purpose, but ultimately they all united to take the promised land. Right. Though they even in that promised land had their assigned territory. Right. Right. So if we look at it positively, there's a reason why we have the various denominations. Most of them were birthed out of a fresh move or revelation of God mm-hmm. that the previous group didn't want to hold on to or embrace, so they created their own tribe, if you will. The problem is, if we don't celebrate that diversity, that diversity becomes a division, right? and we divide away from each other. And, the, and most of the problems with the people in churches is the pastors of churches. Yeah. And the problem with the pastors of churches is 
the hierarchy of, of the churches who, again, want to keep their place, right. create their position of power and strength, sustained by money and people. So what you create, you create a bureaucracy in the spiritual world, much like we have in this natural world in our government. It has to sustain itself. I remember when I worked in a bank in Shawnee, I had a good friend in the chamber, junior chamber of commerce, uh, and we were visiting one day over a cup of coffee. He said, what's your day been up to? What have you been up to today? You know, I said, I've been out knocking on doors trying to give away money. I said, what? He said, yeah, I've got to get all this DHS money distributed so we'll get it reply, replaced this coming year. If I don't get it all distributed, there won't come a budget. Mm -hmm. So that's the mindset behind the natural order, right? Uh, I got to build my church, so I got to steal from this one to get mine bigger. Right. You know, I got uh, what? Right. Now, this is what we should remind people: you are a pastor, <laughs> right? And you are saying these things about pastors, right? Right. right. So you understand right. how it really works. I understand how it really works. You know, I, but I had to embrace that. I had to see that. I had to acknowledge that. And so I say all that simply to say I don't think that needs to be an issue unless we want to make it an issue. We have a group that goes out and prays every Wednesday primarily with, with pastors of various groups throughout the, throughout the city to bless them. I tell people when you drive by a congregation, a church, bless that congregation yes. if they preach Christ, right? Mm -hmm. That's the defining factor. If he is the son of God, if you don't believe him to be the son of God, then you're not really Christian in that context, right? Mm -hmm. But regardless, I may not know what they teach fully, but I can say, Lord, bless that congregation, bring into that congregation those that you want to be redeemed, whatever, and celebrate that they're going to reach people I'll never reach. But if we're all about the kingdom, and the Bible says in the end, yeah. we're going to be made up of many tribes, tongues, nations, and people, yes. not mm -hmm. just us. So we need to bless all that's going on, right? And we can help contribute to that if we remove the division. Now, one of the ways I had to do it was in this Wednesday group, you know, we had some Messianic Jews that participated, and they had their unique distinctives, and I celebrated that. The problem was they wanted me to become Messianic Jewish. I said, I'm a Gentile. I don't need to have a Talit and a menorah. Right. That's part of your heritage. I bless that. I celebrate that, but don't say... You need one in your church. I'm a Gentile. That's right. And I find that when in the very beginning of the church, Peter went to the Gentiles to preach the God or the Jews to preach the gospel. Paul went to the Gentiles. I'm from the lineage of Paul, if right. you will. Because I had I have no Jewish heritage. And so as a result, I celebrate you, but don't put that on me. Don't divide me away from you because I don't have a menorah or a talit. Oh, that's right. And and yet we do that. And then we get into various teachings. Yeah. Uh, Anti-tongues versus tongues, Pentecost versus non-Pentecost. The church was birthed on the day of Pentecost with everybody speaking in tongues. Every book in the New Testament was written by tongue talker. I mean, if you really want to get down to it, that's all of our heritage. And what we mean by that is someone that was filled with the Spirit of God. And spoke. And there was, there was a physical demonstration of that right. in filling. And I say that without uh, a sense of condemnation. Sometimes I overstate that in that context. But, but the point being, uh, and even that, if you study that out, there's three expressions of tongues yep. that the New Testament teaches that all had validity in the birthing and growing of the church and still do. If we'll embrace it and accept it without dividing off away from it, right? So anyway, it it's again goes back to the spirit behind everything. I told my people, I said, do not talk against denominations. It's a spirit of denominationalism that we right. need to cast out. Yes. Right. Just like there's a spirit of independentism that people mm -hmm. can feel with. It's mm -hmm. a spiritual thing. And what is that spirit of Baal or that spirit of the enemy trying to do? Divide us, separate us weakness you know paul talks about who, who is there that hates your body you know well we can we can do things to destroy our body because we don't like our body right but we're not we're to embrace our body we're to embrace the spiritual body of christ you know um and, and celebrate one another in the uniqueness that we have like the 12 tribes did but yet united to gain and fulfill the ultimate purpose of god the New Testament church, they were teaching, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm a, or I'm of Peter, I'm of Apollos. He said, no, stop that right now. 
Yeah. But the seed was there. It's always been there. It's always been there. And it's manifested itself now for those that are, um, maybe you're listening today and you, you know, you aren't, you don't have a lot of church background, or maybe you do, and um, you're going to resonate with this. Um, that I'm a Baptist. I'm an assembly of God. I'm a Pentecostal. You know, that's denominationalism. Instead of, I'm a child of God. That's the key. Right. It's no different. I can be, I'm a Oklahoma Sooner fan, but do you know what I'm really a fan of? I love football. Sure. <laughs> you know? Sure. And so I think the what God is doing by making these distinctives less and less emphasized is he's bringing a love back into uh, the body of Christ for just being a child of the there king. That is what matters. Sure. And, and so I, I think the role... Um, going forward, at least what I feel God telling me personally is that as a pastor, leader, whatever, your job is to, is to create a good bed for the seed. Mm, The, The seed in this illustration though, isn't the word it's people. Mm-hmm. If if you create a healthy environment, if you'll so to till that, you got to deal with the rocks, you got to deal with roots, you got to deal with weeds, and but if you'll create a healthy environment, I'll plant the seeds that will then produce produce a harvest, and um, so I think it's important that we deal with the things that divide us. Number one, to do that, whether it's racism or denominationalism, we got to admit they're really issues of the heart. And there are things in all of us that we don't want to deal with. We know they're there. And we love to point out, oh, well, that person needs to deal with this. When, no, we've all got stuff to deal with. And I know that's kind of your background. For you, you obviously were born an addict. So addiction has been (laughs) (laughs) addiction and helping people overcome addiction um, is something that you that you are that's in you that you do how did that come about before we get into the book well um you know i had a i had a grandfather that was an alcoholic uh my mom's dad uh my mom being a deathbed asthmatic uh, all of my childhood uh my grandmother lived eight houses down the street from us took care of us uh, a lot fed us a lot uh uh, so I spent a lot of time seeing an alcoholic grandfather uh, come home from a job. He was a functional alcoholic. He worked yeah. every day. Uh, he'd come home ranting and raving and and uh, loud and nothing could please him. And my little four foot eleven grandmother would put him to bed at night at the end of an iron frying pan. Uh, Homer, you're going to get ready for bed and you're going to lay down and you're going to shut up. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, dynamite comes in small packages, yeah. let me tell you. Uh, was she Greek? Uh, no. Okay. No, no. Just she was, asking. She was, she was a little German lady. Oh, German. That's uh, even yeah, better. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, my, my dad's uh, next youngest brother was an alcoholic. Um, he, he ran the family farm after my grandfather retired and, and the family farm was, was lost in, in large part, uh, to the effect of alcohol on, on his family. Uh, so I, I saw in, in my family, even though we were, my, my immediate family was, uh, dedicated, uh, you know, in church seven days a week in some capacity, uh, serving ministry, doing whatever, I, I saw the effect of, of alcoholism in, in the extended family and what that addiction did in, in destroying families and, and creating uh, tensions and loss and, and traumatizing uh, people. Uh, so while I, I'm, I'm not an addict myself and that, you know, I'm not a Jim Bean, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have uh, my teeth missing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I've seen firsthand what, what addiction can do. Uh, then being that my family has been involved in ministry all of our lives, uh, you see people come into the church and you see whether they are able to acclimate uh, into the church or, or whether their addiction keeps them from acclimating. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, you're, you, if, if they were shunned, if they weren't accepted, if we didn't know how to deal with them, so we, we ignored them. Uh, we those, never do that. The no. church loves everybody. Oh, that's, right. that's right. There's still room for one. Yes. Uh, as long <laughs> as they're not an addict. Yeah. Or as long, uh, really, as long as they're not different than me. Yeah, yeah. There you go. We're, there's still room for one just like us. Yeah. Um, then uh, uh, when Don and I got together, um, uh, shortly after we started Grace Point Church, uh, we got involved in, in ministry on the street and and really began to see up close and personal how addiction could could ravage lives. It's it's one thing to see functional people going to work and and holding their families uh, reasonably well together, but now when you see people out on the street, uh, when you see people who are no longer in their right mind because of addiction, when you see people who are uh, are frostbitten, and, and and you see a man with with part of his ear missing because he slept through. Uh, the ice storm last night because of, of being uh, on drugs and not knowing there was an ice storm and his ear woke up uh, frozen to the curb. That yeah. was his pillow. Yeah. And, and so part of his ear is missing and the part that, that where it's missing, the rest of that is black. Because uh, of what, frostbite or yeah, whatever? Frostbite. Yeah, frostbite. Uh, you know, we, we, we've seen addiction... Mm-hmm. Uh, where it has destroyed lives, separated people from their families, and, and brought them to a place that you wouldn't want any of your worst enemies to have to live that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in 10, 12 years of doing that ministry and seeing that, um, you know, God, God puts you in a place to, to, resp- to respond and to solve a problem. Yeah. And so he, he put us in a place and we got hooked and, and we set out to, to see what, what can we do to make a change in these people's lives. And, and that was between my, between my, my extended family upbringing, between what we've seen in the street brought us to the point of, of writing this book and everything that I had seen uh, in publication was either a, a textbook type. This is what the drug does to you. This is what it looks like. This is what it's treated. Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't help somebody who's in addiction, or it's written by by somebody that's going to say, "Hey, you you going to die and go to hell because you're an addict." Right. And, and and an addict doesn't need that either. No. Uh, they they need something they can understand. Uh, they need something that that uh, is is love and mercy and grace, and yet is um, uh, on the other side of that coin, blunt in your face. This is the truth. This is this is reality that that you got to face, and and that's what we tried to, to write here in the breaking free from addiction. Uh, it's it's thirteen conversations. We don't even call them chapters. Yeah, uh, it's written in a conversational tone, and I I'm trying to write the book as if I was just sitting at this table with a cup of coffee, and and, and we're talking to one another. Uh, it's larger print so that uh, somebody without glasses can read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pocket size, so you can put it in your jeans pocket, read a little bit now. Uh, after you find a cup of coffee and a free meal someplace, uh, you can sit on a street corner on the side of the curb under a shade tree and yeah. and, and read some more. Um, I want to get into the book here in this last little bit. And... Um, we're going to bleed over into a next episode and go in a little bit more detail um, as far as addiction um, and what you have in the book. But we are recording here in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City uh, is one of those areas that is considered the buckle of the Bible belt. You know, <laughs> I think the belt has has gotten a little loose. <laughs> um, I don't know that it is as powerful as people think it is case in point i was doing a little bit of research um and there was a study done last year um by a university back east this was reported on our local news station by the way one of them kfor where they they did a two-year study of of mid and major cities in the united states 
and they took into account um, the uh, drug rate, primarily drug abuse rate. Out of 100 cities, their findings said Oklahoma City is the second most neediest city in the United States for drug and alcohol rehab and drug and alcohol rehab counseling. Does that surprise you? No, not at all. Why does it not surprise you? Um, as as you, okay, I'm going to talk from a, from a church perspective mm-hmm. in my answer, okay? When, when you get out of the church pew and you get out of the whitewashed place that we have our little select group of people that we run with, uh, my, my next book is going to be called Discovering Invisible People. Homeless people, addicts out in the street are invisible because we drive by them, we ignore them, we, we, don't, we don't have a means where we're in contact with them. We don't even know they exist until we see them on a blip on a, on a TV news uh, episode. In many ways, it's another type of racism. Yes. In many ways. Absolutely. Um, dr- drugs are drugs are in every level of our society. Uh, there there are people in the in the big tall skyscraper buildings of downtown Oklahoma City who have drug habits of thousands of dollars a day. There are drugs in our high schools. There are drugs in our elementary schools. There are drugs among white people, black people, and Hispanics. There are drugs in the well-to-do. Uh, suburbs of Oklahoma City, and there are drugs in the street downtown. There is nowhere you can go. There's drugs in Oklahoma City. There's drugs in McLeod. There's drugs in the in the five and ten acre tracks where people live in the country to avoid the city. There's nowhere you can go in our day and time where drugs are not prevalent. Hmm. Now. It may not be because you may only know your four friends from the aisle seat that you sit, that you see every <laughs> right, Sunday, right. that, 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 you know, you go to the Thunder game right. together and you go out to eat together <clears throat> and, and, and you show up and stand together at the same soccer practice. Um, but once you break out of that uh, protected circle, you'll discover that, that drugs are everywhere. And, and every person that's in the church um, every person who has a family, every person who has a loved one uh, needs to know something uh, about addiction because you either are an addict or someone in your family is an addict or you work with an addict or your neighbor is an addict. Yeah, there's, that is so true. And um, when your eyes are open to that reality, like you really see it. You do. Um, you, you begin to notice that it's everywhere. What is the definition of the term addict? Do you know? Uh, the definition that I go by is when you are under the control of something okay. that you can't control anymore. Okay. Technically, we're all addicts. Yeah. Yep. Sin has produced addiction. You know, I was thinking uh, the scripture, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, we've identified sin by certain habit patterns or certain things people do, but basically we've all sinned, and that word there means miss the mark. We've mm-hmm. all fallen short. What was the mark? The glory. The word there is doxa in the Greek. It means the ex- the visible expression of God. Yes. He created us to be his image, his expression in the earth. That was corrupted through sin. And so technically uh, that is hindered through our addictions. I can be addicted to food. I can be addicted to money. I can be addicted to self-promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, we're all addicted. Absolutely. And I think we have to start at that point. Otherwise, we're not all involved in the process of healing, which removes the addiction. Uh, the, 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 the expressed image of God is Jesus. That's right. So he's the solution to what we all need, right? Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, from from a a perspective, I can a perspective I can say my dad was an alcoholic, so I never drank. I never had a desire to drink because I saw the results of the drink. Uh, my dad smoked. I never smoked because I didn't like the the effects of it. Uh, so certain boundaries have been set up in my life, but yet 
looking internally, I'm addicted. There's things that, that control me, as control all of us, through our habit pattern of sin, of trying to live life our own way without the help of Christ. Um, uh, I have to confess that uh, Christ has made a tremendous change in my life, but I still have areas that I need to trust him to help me with. Otherwise, that addictive part of me controls me. That's right. We all have that tendency because that's what the enemy plays upon our, our weaknesses. Like the, you know, they, they were telling us the COVID attacks the weakest part of your body. Right. And so if you have lung issues, it's going to attack your lungs. You know, if you have other issues, it's going to attack those areas because that's the way the enemy works. He goes after our weakness. He doesn't go for our strength. He goes for our weakness. And the weakness with all of us is, is our self-sustainability. We, we, we just, we're going to do it our way. We're going to sustain ourselves, all this kind of stuff. Rather than surrendering to Christ, let him become uh, our strength, right? Uh, so anyway, I just say that to say uh, I think when we de- redefine an addict, uh, we all could probably value the book and what we may look at it from a drug focus or an alcohol focus, but it's the the principle still relates to all of us to so get you, free you just removed the judgment yeah yes that those people are addicts right and we're not right which again is another form of racism it is uh, division yeah yeah so anyway well as we uh, wrap up this episode i want to encourage you to listen to the next one maybe um as we get to the conclusion of this first part, you might be thinking that exact thing. Well, I'm not a drug. I'm not a, I don't use drugs and I don't have an alcohol problem or, or whatever. Um, an addict is one who exhibits a compulsive, chronic, physiological or psychological need for a habit forming substance, but that's not where it ends. Behavior or activity. There you go. If you've got if if you have a tendency to get angry, you're addicted to anger. Yes. If you have this innate compulsion to uh buy the the newest shoes that hit the market, why? Is it because you're addicted to whatever that is releasing into your into your body? Um we're all addicts. This is something that all of us can learn from and can help all of us because if Christ truly has changed our life, one of the primary things he's after is to give us freedom. He doesn't want us bound by anything other than his love for others, his passion for the kingdom and us living this fully renewed life to do that man we got to deal with some stuff and i want you to listen to the next episode we're going to help you we're going to give you some tools we're going to talk through this about how you can break some addictive behaviors in your life so we'll see you on the next edition of the renewed you podcast